One of our newest partnerships between the CCG and our wonderful community partners brings the quest for helping closer to home. Especially with COVID leading to increased risks of domestic violence, our episode today is more timely than ever. Today, we will be talking with Jesse Lindbergh, Executive Director of Turning Point Incorporated in Monroe about their organization and ways to help. Hello, I'm Lacey Ritter, Recruitment and Project Development Coordinator and Assistant Professor in the Sociology Department. And I'm Kathy Wright, Executive Director of the CCG and Head of the Religion Department, and this is Against the Grain. So today's episode focuses on one of our amazing community partner portraits. These outward-facing episodes give glimpses into the lives of our community partners, so you can see what amazing work they do every day and the ways we at the CCG and Wingate University can help. As I mentioned, our guest speaker today is Jesse Lindbergh from Turning Point. And before we get to any of the uh, Turning Point-related stuff, let's start with some fun facts to help our listeners get to know you better. This is, this is my favorite. I mean, I love learning about everything to do with what's going on, but these fun facts have really been kind of a highlight for me. So, what is your favorite song, and what about it makes it stand out against its competitors? Okay, so my favorite song is, I'm a big Crosby, Stills, and Nash fan. I love classic rock in general, but so there is a beautiful song that they wrote called Wasted on the Way, and that is probably my number one favorite song. It really talks about um, not wasting the precious time that you're given and kind of going for things if you have a dream, um, pursuing that dream, and, you know, just not not wasting the love and the opportunities that are around you. So I love that song. That is awesome. I don't know if I've heard that, so I will have to check it out. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. Yeah, go listen to it right after this. Waste it on the way. It's a good one. Deal. I like it. (laughs) All right. Well, your next question, and this one we ask to everyone, and it's so fun for us because we get to see such different answers in people. So if you were quarantined for at least two weeks with three different celebrities and or famous people, and they can be dead or alive, who would you choose and why? I love that you give me three options, so I don't have to just pick one. Because I'd say one, and then I'd be like, oh, I should have picked this one. <laughs> so um, this is going to sound a little cliche, but I would say my, my first pick would be my nanny, who is my grandmother on my mom's side. She's my mom's mom. And the only reason why she died when I was, um, I guess I was 20 when she died. And we were very, very close, but I would love to know her as an adult. Um, and I think I would have a, a different kind of appreciation for who she was as a woman. And, you know, I'm just in a different phase in my life now. So I feel like I would just love to spend some quality time with her and, um, and get to know her as an adult. So that would be my first one. My second one would be Judy Garland because she is one of my most favorite actresses and I'm like obsessed with her and I find her so fascinating and her story, her upbringing, um, her challenges, her struggles and how somehow she maintained her talent with all the the demons she was facing. Um, So she is definitely um, at the top of my list. And then I would say the third one would be Helen Keller. Um, I have a child with special needs and so somebody who is able to take the challenges, take the cards that they've been dealt, and do such incredible things in spite of their circumstances. Um, she's so inspiring. I mean, she was an advocate. She wrote books. She's, you know, she was just, and she fought for things beyond herself, even with all the challenges she had. Um, she was, you know, she she fought for the women's right to vote. She, you know, 
but also being an advocate for people with, with disabilities. You know, nobody really did that. So um, I just think she was a phenomenal person, and I would love to have spent some time with her. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm just so excited for your choice. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that quarantine space with all you <laughs> lovely ladies um, communicating. Uh, that That is so neat. And thank you for sharing with us because often the people you pick is, is really a personal choice and, and it kind of gives us a glimpse into uh, who you are and kind of what motivates what you do in our community. So, okay, like, let's get started. We really care at the CCG about who you are before we start working on what you do in the world, um, because I think that's an important piece. So where are you from? What's something unique or really awesome that you would love to share with our audience um, that they might not know about you? Um, well, let me just say offline, I want to ask these questions of both of you ladies, too, because I'm very curious to know what you guys would say. Um, <laughs> but so, um, so yeah, I grew up in New Jersey, about 20 minutes out of New York City. So I grew up very close to New York City, so I actually spent most of my childhood in show business and in theater and in commercials and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and so when I was in college, when I went to college, it was kind of an assumption that I was going to go to NYU and major in drama at Chish School of the Arts. So I did that for two years, and then I decided I wanted to do something else. It was what I had done since I was literally an infant doing diaper commercials. So I did a complete 180, and I went down to UNC Chapel Hill and majored in journalism. Um, and so I graduated with a degree in journalism in 1999, and then moved to Charlotte uh, very shortly thereafter. And I guess a really unique thing about me would be that people love to find out that I was on Wheel of Fortune in 2011. Is that when I did that? Yeah, 2010 it was. It was a Halloween episode. And so, yeah, so I didn't win the big prize because, my gosh, there was this girl next to me, and I just couldn't catch her, and I was so annoyed. But I did win a trip to Puerto Rico, and I won some money. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really unique, weird experience and very surreal to this day. I have to watch the video to actually believe that it happened. <laughs> you just listed so many amazing things. Like, <laughs> if someone asked me that question, I'd be like, I don't know, I do theater every once in a while, but you're like... I have had this awesome life of seven million things. It's just so cool. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's bizarre. It's surreal to even talk about it. Now I'm going to have to go find your episode of Wheel of Fortune and watch this. This is so cool. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to end the diaper commercials. And, <laughs> oh, oh, definitely. We are, we are definitely going to get to know you a little bit better. Yes. <laughs> we, on a separate occasion, will definitely learn more about that stuff because that is so fun. But for our listeners who are here for some specifics on Turning Point, can you tell a little bit about the organization, things like mission statement, purpose, goals, kind of the history if you want? Absolutely. So Turning Point was started in 1986 by really just a group of concerned citizens who understood how pervasive uh, domestic violence was in our community. And so they actually just started a support group. And so through the years, it has just kind of developed into this kind of all-encompassing organization to address issues, you know, associated with abuse and violence in our community. So we run a 42-bed domestic violence shelter. Um, and so, you know, we provide all the services subsequent to providing the emergency shelter. We do counseling, 
support groups, safety planning, um, court advocacy. We have a program for children who've witnessed domestic violence to try to help them work through you know, what they've experienced, if it's anger management issues, coping skills, um, and that type of thing. We have a program for little, little ones to try to determine if there's any type of developmental delays based on the circumstances that they've been living in. Um, and so that's our one big program. Um, that was the, the original program that, we, that we've been providing. In 2015, we acquired the Treehouse Children's Advocacy Center. And so the concept of a, a children's advocacy center is really, you know, there was, there was a time where professionals and all the disciplines that kind of address uh, child abuse were understanding that the process of ascertaining what happened to this child and then pressing charges and all that other stuff was actually causing more trauma to the child because if a child say tells their teacher what happened and then that teacher tells the guidance counselor now the child's got to tell the guidance counselor now they got to tell their parents now they got to go to the police station and so children were trying to understand why are we why am i being made to tell my story over and over again are people not believing me and it would cause kids to either recant their story or change their story um it just caused them to feel not believed. And so the CAC provides everything under one roof and pulls all those disciplines together. So we provide forensic interviews, medical exams, counseling, support groups, advocacy for the family. And then we assemble all of those disciplines, law enforcement, DSS, the school system, counselors, the DA's office, all in one room um, to A, watch the forensic interview. So that forensic interview is only done with one trained person and that interview is live streamed into a conference room and that's where all those those disciplines are viewing it so it's recorded so it can be used as evidence in court um, which kind of decreases the likelihood that a child will have to testify um, and then we're also bringing everybody together once a month to keep those lines of communication open so that nothing falls through the cracks for those children so that's the one program that's at the treehouse the other is our sexual assault resource center so we provide 24-hour response for survivors of sexual assault. Um, Pre-COVID, we would meet them at the hospital and be with them if they were getting a sexual assault kit done, hold their hand, bring them clothes. Um, quite often their, their clothing becomes evidence in a case. So we'd have people leaving in scrubs, you know, with no clothes. So we bring them clothes, we bring them a bag full of everything that they might need. And then we provide, of course, counseling and um, and support in that way. And, you know, there's really no statute of limitations on sexual assault. And in the climate we're living in, where um, I personally feel like sexual assault gets, it's, we're getting very casual in the way that we're speaking about it, just because it's become a political issue a little bit. And um, that's very triggering for people. And so we've had people come forward that experienced sexual assault decades ago. But what is happening and, and the narrative right now is causing you know that trauma to kind of manifest in a way that they they feel like they they need they need help to address it and so um, so we're always there to help them um, and then finally we do um, a lot of community education so we do teen dating violence um, I know we've gotten the opportunity to come to Wigan and do some some presentations for your for your uh, young adults and we do a um, a program in the elementary schools for children uh, K through five to discuss body awareness and body safety and disclosure of abuse because child sexual abuse is most often not disclosed and so trying to break down those barriers so those children can understand that this is not their fault and this is something they need to disclose um, and so we've done that for over the last two school years obviously COVID has impacted this year a little bit but um, over 6,000 children 
and we've had, I want to say, upwards of like 20 disclosures of abuse following that, that education. So uh, it's been really vital in, in providing, you know, empowering children to keep themselves safe. And so, and also, finally, we have three stores, because I always forget to mention the stores, and they are so important to our organization. So we have three second-chance boutiques, and they provide about 34% of our operating revenue. Our community is extraordinarily generous, and they provide donations to us, and we're able to not only to sell them to provide um, funding for our programs, but also we're able to provide our clients with everything they need from our stores. So it's kind of a, it's a, a dual advantage for us to have those stores. That is so amazing. You guys do so much. I, I think that's one of the gifts as kind of one of the podcasters and sitting with Lacey, you, you'll probably agree with me, is that we know about Turning Point, but every time we do a podcast, we find out more about their mission and purpose and all the fabulous things that you guys are doing, as well as the stores that are, are, are wonderful um, parts of our community. So what I want to do is kind of, that is kind of the mission and the purpose. You as a person working at Turning Point, can you tell us a little bit of what that looks like um, or maybe who or what got you into Turning Point? Because I know you went to Chapel Hill for journalism. So how did you kind of come into that, in kind of into this space? But also, you know, what has your experience been so far? Uh, do you have a best memory that you'd like to share with us? Or is there something that you're like, we're doing this differently now because when I came in, you know, it didn't kind of connect with me and now we're doing it this way. So if you have a couple of things to share about your personal experience about working and, and being part of the Turning Point community. Absolutely. So I, I actually started in commercial real estate. So I did get my degree in journalism and PR, but I started in commercial real estate, I think, because when you get out of college, you're like, um, I just need a job. So I took that and ended up loving it. So I was in downtown Charlotte, living the dream, commercial real estate. I was there for eight years, and then I had my little boy, and he has special needs. And so that kind of flipped what I felt like I wanted to do with my life um, around in a, in a weird, completely unexpected way. And so I stayed home with him, and then when he was three, this is how destiny God, however you want to look at it, whatever you might, whatever you might think, I actually went to go meet with um, the ARC here in Union County, which is an advocacy organization for people with developmental disabilities, and I was seeking just help for my son to just try to figure out how to navigate this this new journey I was on. And she had the executive director Melinda Plue, who is still a very good friend of mine, at the time said, I just today put a position out on the internet and I would love to know if you might be interested in interviewing for it. So of course I did and there you go and thus began my career in nonprofits. So that was 10 years ago and um, as I got a little bit um, doing this that work personally and professionally became very very taxing for me because I was living it for other families but I was also having to do it for my own so I decided I needed a little bit of a change. So I actually went to work for the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. Um, absolutely phenomenal. I'm sure a lot of people know about the Y, but what an absolutely staggeringly phenomenal organization. And so I did fundraising for them and I loved, loved, loved it. And I believe so strongly in the mission of the Y. Um, but I got recruited to come back to Union County. I had only been at the Y for two years. I thought I was never gonna leave. And then I got a call about this job um, to be the executive director of Turning Point. And I mean, my gosh, who would not jump at the chance, right? So I um, came and interviewed for this role and got it. And um, I've been drinking from the fire hose ever since. <laughs> so 
So that's almost three years ago, and it's been such a blessing. Like, I have to pinch myself that I get to be in this job. Okay, Lacey, that is definitely a, a quote for your board of quotes. I've been drinking fire hose ever since because I think yep. I really, that, that really speaks to me. Yep, um, absolutely. So to explain what we were talking about, Jesse, uh, every time we do a podcast episode or have a CCG-related workshop or something, I listen for, like, the quote of the item, and then I have a board that I've made them on all these neon-colored Post-it notes, and at the end of the year, I'm going to put them on a poster and have them so we so we all have our little quotes and can remember with fondness. So you've definitely made the quotes list now. Well, once you, once you, you'll actually use that all the time now. It's so applicable in life in general. Um, so yeah, it'll be very, it'll be really, very relevant, I think, to a lot of people. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so I would say also just kind of my, my highs and lows in this role, I think the, the thing I'm most proud of was, you know, when you get to be an executive director, there's a lot of pressure in that people always ask you, well, what's your vision? What are your, what's your, you know, what's your vision for this agency? You know, and it's like in the first two weeks and you're like, oh, well, I'm just learning where the bathroom is. So <laughs> let me figure that out first and then I'll, but so I really was looking like, what, what is it? I feel like it's going to come to me. It's not something that I'm going to research. You know, I felt like it was organically going to be presented to me what, what I should be doing with this agency. And so in the first year, there was an, an overarching theme that just kept getting replayed and replayed and replayed in the things I was doing. And that was um, incarcerated survivors of abuse and violence. And I felt like, you know, if you actually look at trauma and the legacy of trauma and what it does to people and also what the results of that trauma are, you see that the majority of women and youth in jail are victims of, of abuse and violence. And so often the, what landed them in jail was either something that they did under force or coercion from an abuser or um, because they were just reacting to the trauma and that's how trauma manifests itself in certain people and behaviors and, um, and crime and all that other stuff. And I just felt like, my gosh, if there's a 16 year old kid in jail, there's something wrong, something happened to them. It's not what they did. And so that became like my mission was how do we serve people who we know aren't going to be able to darken the doors here at our shelter. So I uh, created back in 2019 an outreach for the Union County Jail. So we are now providing um, professional counseling, domestic violence and sexual assault counseling to the women who are incarcerated in the Union County Jail. And we're also providing our hero program to the youth that are in the jail. Um, and that really started with a partnership with Safer Communities, which is a, a faith-based nonprofit here in Union County that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but my gosh, they're doing such good work. And they've been doing life skills training in the jail for years through the chaplains. And so they partnered with us to put us into their existing program to provide that, that domestic violence, abuse, sexual assault side to that, um, to their curriculum. So, um, that's how we kind of got into the jail. And then they led us to so many other areas that we can help, which is we're serving now the children with our HERO program, the children whose parents are incarcerated. And we've been able to get connected with them through safer communities. And now we're going into high risk areas that are providing like after school for underserved children. And we're able to do our programming with them too. So it's really about um, meeting people where they are and understanding that 
there are people that need us desperately, but they can't come to us. And so, um, but I, I want to say, I, I say I, I spearheaded that, but it's also it really important to follow that up with the fact that I'm not the one in the jail doing the, the projects. This is my team who I said, like I could cry saying it. I said, I want to go into the jails. And there was not one of my team members who wasn't like, you know, okay, awesome, love it, let's go do it. You know, instantly they were on board and they've been on board ever since. And I can't say enough about that. It's not, it's not me doing it, it's just me facilitating it. But it is my team, our, our um, therapist, Kristen, Noemi, our case manager, Sharon, our children's program coordinator, they're the ones going into the jail and doing this work and they are life-changing. They're doing, they're changing people's lives and I really can't say enough about it. So it was my vision, but they brought it, they made it a reality. That is wonderful. And I am so excited that we get to work on a vision together, uh, which is the next thing that we will start talking about. So you and I have recently got into contact about working on one of our courses here on campus. I teach a gender-based violence course, and we are going to team up and do some service learning options. So if you would like to tell a little bit about that to our listeners, kind of what our, our goals and our plans are and how we can help you, and then in the future, how more students at Wingate can help as well. Well, so we've got a couple things in the pipeline that I think are going to be so good for these students, and I think it's giving them the opportunity to be creative and to find creative solutions to issues. And what I think is going to be fun for them and what's going to make them feel so accomplished is that they're taking an issue that, you know, quote-unquote experts are saying is there, and they're helping to fix it, which is just such a big deal, you know? So one of the things we, we want to have them work on is creating a safe space in the police department for survivors of sexual assault. So right now, you know, whatever interview rooms are, they're just what they are, right? They're not, um, they're not like warm and fuzzy the way that we like things here. So how do we partner with law enforcement? And, you know, we have a lot of different municipalities. So how do we partner with law enforcement to ensure that victims are not further victimized when they go to disclose their abuse? So that's one of the first really, I think, crucial projects um, that we can that we can work on together, and I think the kids. I mean, I say kids because I'm old, but the the, the young adults that we get it will be. You know, I think that, I think it's going to be amazing and really impactful. Um, and I know also we talked about maybe having the students come in and work with some of the kids in the shelter once we um, get past COVID, or even do it in small groups, but do little exercise classes with the kids or other activities to keep them engaged. I mean, these poor kids are like behind computers all day. So how can we get them up and moving and get them engaged? And, um, you know, and also I think there's probably an element of um, isolation when you're in a shelter, right? It's not your home. It's not where all your family memories are. It's, a, it's an odd space for a child to be in. And so I think having people come in from the outside and just show them like, hey, the outside world is still here. We love you. We, we haven't forgotten about you. And doing something that makes them smile I mean, I can't even, that would be unreal. So yeah, so those were a couple of the projects we talked about working on. Yes, I'm so excited. And I have mentioned it to some of my upperclassmen who've worked with us in the CCG before, and they were so mad that they aren't part of this course. (laughs) They're like, can we just do it anyway? I'm like, yeah, of course. So they'll, um, they'll probably be hanging out too and helping in any way that they can. So it's definitely gone even past like the little we engage class. I know that um, a lot of students are really pumped to be able to help out 
And I know a few of them also want to take what they learned from you all and make a Wingate-based version of kind of a safe space and a place for victims of intimate partner violence and sexual assault to be able to go on campus where they're surrounded by kind of peers that can support them instead of feeling, you know, um, like officials doing a top-down approach. So they're really excited for this partnership. And I'm excited too, because this is uh, one of my big passion projects as well. So anything we can do to help, we are very excited. And that's the joy of a reciprocal partnership is because your ideas then join with our ideas. Our campus is in a bubble that is outside of the community. Mm -hmm. We are rooted very much in the community and, and being able to some students think we serve off campus. When I listen to both of you, we're serving our students on campus and we're serving the community off campus. And there's that synergy between the two. And that's what I really find is part of our uh, the joy of, of the CCG. And I think also you guys just drawing attention to these issues for the students. You know, there is always an element of um, shame and stigma that comes with things like sexual assaults. Um, and so by creating a, a safe space for people to talk about it openly and not feel shamed, I mean, you're decreasing trauma, you're decreasing this, the likelihood that someone may commit suicide because they've been through something and they don't feel like they're being heard and they have no um, avenue for healing. You know, all this needs to be talked about, but it needs to be talked about in a constructive way, which is why I think involving an organization like Turning Point in the conversation and in the work is so important, um, because I hope that we can we can help frame the dialogue and frame the narrative with which this, these kids are addressing these issues and make sure it's being done in the right way, um, but also more importantly to make sure that kids don't feel alone if something's happened to them. So I give you guys so much credit because you guys are an enormously socially aware college and university. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that because that's not the case across the board. Well, we well, definitely couldn't. That. Yeah, I like that. I was going to say, we definitely can't do it without you and the other amazing community partners we work with. I mean, like Kathy said, we have our little bubble. And so to be able to go outside of that and have like as equally energetic and socially aware and just genius people like you, Jesse, and everybody else that we get to work oh, with. <laughs> like, like you said, like we have these ideas, but getting to work with you all like and making these teams is just drinking from the fire hose, as you said. <laughs> telling you it's gonna roll off your tongue all the time now because you're gonna be like that's my life yes <laughs> I, I like it life. yeah there's gonna be a, a post-it note and like a tattoo and bumper sticker idea I feel good about it <laughs> you go. there's our, our mantra for the the CCG come drink from the fire <laughs> yes um, but it's and it's true the 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 power of we, we just did a Lyceum and, and we've been talking about the power of we is not trying to reinvent the wheel or become the experts. It's leveraging the gifts that we have as a higher ed university with lots of young people and ideas and coursework and, you know, and, 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 but also leverage what we don't have. And we're leveraging our gifts and we're leveraging your gifts because you have the programming, you have the expertise, you have the people who have done it for years and years and years. Isn't that a great way to be both our students can be learners and teachers and and therefore we're co-creating this in, in learning environment and it's and research shows when we do that when we leverage our gifts and leverage the gifts of the community the students are more rooted 
they retain better, but they succeed better. They do what they're doing as a university student better. Um, and when they leave as alumni, they have a lot more connection to their communities wherever they decide to root. Um, and so we're really grateful for all our partners. Um, so that leads me to kind of my next question is, is what advice would you give to people who are interested in volunteering or looking to jo join you with various projects? One of the, today I was working with Brandy, one of our students who is coordinating our partnership portal, and you are one of her, you know, VIP portfolio partners. Um, so I know your page is going to be, you know, revamped on our, our partnership portal, but are there, what other advice would you give people um, on our campus, whether faculty, staff, students, to get involved? And then also, if you could add on the end of that, how do they get involved or help their own um, kind of someone they love who has been a victim of domestic violence? How can they be a recipient of, of all the gifts that you have to offer in this area? Well, I would say for now, since we're in COVID, the best advice I have is be flexible because <laughs> things don't look the way that they did pre-COVID. There was obviously with us a lot more opportunity to be in our facilities and interact with the clients and that type of thing. And that's kind of been um, halted just a little bit just to make sure that we're keeping our clients safe. We've got babies here with people with um you know, who are considered high risk. So we certainly want to be really mindful about the fact that they're living here, right? This is their home. And so we're trying to make sure that we're keeping it um, kind of as, as um, neutral as possible for them. But that being said, I would say, so be flexible, maybe be willing to do stuff that is not at the top of your list, but at least get your foot in the door to volunteer with us. One place we always need volunteers is at our stores. We are, we're very blessed and we're very, our community is extraordinarily generous to us, but that leaves a lot of work, a lot of labor to sort through donations. We steam every single item before it goes out on the floor, but we literally sort through every, every item that comes through to make sure that is worthy of being um, put out onto our floor. So, so that is one place where we desperately need, um, need help. The other thing is um, be creative. We've had a lot of people that say, hey, I want to do this for your clients because I really think they might like it. Um, and they've just come up with fun, fun ideas and things for the families to do together. We try to really encourage and nurture parent-child interaction, um, you know, at our shelter because people have been living kind of in this fight-or-flight mode for a really long time. And sometimes the relationship between the parent and the child is not as strong as we like it to be. So there's certainly things that we're working on on our end with that, but I think engaging with each other and activities that are constructive is really amazing so coming to facilitate that type of thing making meals we always I and mean, we feed a lot of people all day every day so if you like to cook make a meal and bring it by you can't cook in our kitchen quite yet right now but you can bring it and uh, we would be very very thankful for that so those are some of the um, some of the things we have for people to do now. But I would say, as we get you know out of COVID and we're able to bring more people into the shelter, um, we'll kind of you know there'll be more more time for interaction with our clients and with the programs themselves. It's just been a little challenging right now. Um, but the other um, oh, and you know what I was going to say too, kind of what you guys are facilitating, because you can't come here as much. Be be proactive where you are in your space, right? Try to change things where you are. Try to change the narrative about sexual assault. Correct somebody if they're talking about something in a way that's not 
constructive or that is kind of punishing a victim. You know, that, that, that's the type of thing, that advocacy and kind of being an ambassador for Turning Point in any way, whether you work here, whether you volunteer, or you can still be an ambassador for our movement. And so making sure people are using the right terminology. And the biggest thing I would say is believe people. Believe people when they say that something has happened to them because false reports of sexual assault are probably 4%. I mean, it's something so low. So you've got to believe survivors when they say that something has happened to them. That's the, that's the number one thing we tell people. So if you know somebody who has encountered um, abuse, number one, believe them. That's the most important thing. And then send them our way. We have crisis lines for the domestic violence shelter. They've got to call. They've got to make that call for themselves. And then we'll do an assessment. Um, it's also important to know that you don't have to be living here to get our services. So if you're a victim of intimate partner violence, you don't have to live in our shelter to get counseling, to get safety planning, to get court advocacy. And honestly, everything we do is free. So um, our crisis line, should I give that out? Yeah, sure. Yep. Um, at 704-283-7233, that's our domestic violence crisis line. And then our sexual assault crisis line is 704-283-7770. And those are 24-7, so somebody will always answer, and um, we can we can do whatever we need. If you're more comfortable with virtual advocacy, we can do that. We have virtual counseling we can offer, so we kind of are being very flexible right now to understand, you know, meeting people where they are as far as COVID and what they want to do face-to-face and that type of thing. So that's pretty much it for our focus questions. But before we say goodbye and thank you a million times, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know that we might not have touched on so far? Um, I think I'll just go back to believing people. It's really important. And that's the first step in, in getting people to a place where they can seek justice and seek healing is, is believing them. But also understanding that the issues that we're addressing at Turning Point, domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse, they are far more pervasive than you know. And you know people who are impacted by it. You just don't know it. And so just understanding that this is not like a they issue. This is an us issue as our community. It is our job to to tackle these issues and to support survivors wherever they might be um, and understand that trauma causes certain behaviors. So People will do things in a way, just like the jail program, people do things as a result of their trauma and understanding that if we want to be kind of like a trauma-informed community, we don't we don't look at it like, what did you do? We look at it like, what happened to you to cause you to do things? And I think we'll be a far more just and understanding and empathetic community if we can look at things that way and understand that. There's, there's a lot of trauma and a lot of violence and a lot of abuse going on, and it's right outside our windows. And so we all just need to be aware of it and do our part to, to serve wherever we can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You get two quotes on the board because I really loved it. The it's not a they issue, it's an us issue. And that's definitely a CCG thing, too. We call it the power of we, but... I love that language and it, yeah, you're right. It is just so important and I'm really glad that we get to have this partnership because I think, like you said, everyone needs to hear this stuff and it'll be a really, really good way for us to bring that onto campus. We're so grateful. Yes. We're just, I mean, I have learned so much about our community from you and I love your passion. You are just so passionate about what you do and I'm so glad that you found your space in the world where you are making a difference and you're transforming Eastern Union County 
uh, and you're doing it in a very unique way. So we're just so grateful you could share it with all our listeners. Thank you so much. And it is such an honor to partner with Wingate University. You guys are such a highly regarded, incredible university and full of really compassionate, forward-thinking, innovative people. And I think that's what we love so much because we're not going to transform Union County unless we all band together and do it. But knowing that we have this, this you know, higher education institution on our side to help us with this movement is huge. And it's gonna start with that young generation, right? That's how we're gonna change generations of abuse and, you know, change the future for so many people. So we, it, it starts with, it starts with the students, you know, it starts with the young generation. So we're, we are more than honored to partner with you guys. And I can't thank you enough for letting me tell the Turning Point story today. You guys are amazing. Uh, of course, well, thank you for joining us. We had such a fun time today. Thank you. All right, y'all, stay tuned for some more exciting Against the Grain episodes where we focus on sowing the seeds of change in eastern Union County. Bye!